Hi Church, Pete's here. Welcome to Church Online. If this is your first time with us, you're so welcome. Great to have you with us at City on a Hill. And uh, for those who are, this is your regular church experience, we love you and it's great to journey together with you. Well, we're going to turn to the Bible. We're in our series, which we've entitled Keep Heart. And uh, because if you lose heart, you lose all. We've got to keep heart. Sometimes through the tough times, we've got to keep heart. And as we keep heart, God helps us. Let's pray as we turn to the Bible. Father, thank you. You know each and every person joining us today. Thank you, God, you love us. Thank you, God, you have a plan for us. Even though sometimes life throws us curveballs, I thank you in the middle of the ups and downs of life. You're the God who doesn't change. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. I pray as we turn to the Bible that you would speak to us, God, whether this is their first time at church or whether this is people's regular experience, I pray that you'd speak to us. And I pray for anyone today who doesn't have a relationship with you. God, I ask that you would reveal yourself to them. I pray you'd make yourself incredibly real. We give this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Way back in February 15th, 1947, Glenn Chambers was on a flight to Ecuador to begin his work as a missionary. And as he got on board that flight, he had no idea that this would be the last day of his life. The flight never made it to Ecuador and uh, the, flight, the plane actually hit the summit of a mountain and everyone on board was killed. But before Glenn took off at the airport, he wanted to write a note to his mother just to wish her well as he was going on to this next stage of his life. He didn't have any paper to write on and there was a newspaper he had or a magazine at the, at the airport and he took a page out of the magazine and the headline of the page was, why? With a big question mark. And so he tear, tore out the, the article and around the word why, he wrote a letter to his mum. He didn't realise it, but it was the last letter he would ever write. He posted it, he got on the plane and he died in a fatal plane crash. Days, days afterwards, after his mum had heard the news of his death, she received the letter from her son. She opened the letter and there in front of her was this cutting from paper with a, with a, a letter from her son written around the huge word in the middle. Why? When we go through the hard times in life, we're often left asking, why? Why did that happen? I'm going to take you to journey with me as we look at Joseph in the Old Testament in the book of Genesis. And Joseph is a guy who navigated life and he, like us, went through things and he had big questions. But the, he came up with the answer to the question, why? And his answer is a robust answer and his answer can become your answer. His answer can become our answer as we go through the ups and downs of life. So let me give you some context. Joseph, age 17, in his late teens, God gave him dreams. God was showing him his destiny before his destiny ever happens. And in his dreams, God spoke to him about, one day you're gonna become a ruler and an influencer. And he believed God. But it seems like not, no sooner had the dreams come, everything went wrong in his life. Soon he was, his brothers became jealous of him and his brothers sold him. The first they wanted to kill him, but then they sold him to a, to a slave trader from the Midianite tribe. And he was sold to the Midianites and he was taken down to Egypt and there in a slave market in Egypt, he was then sold again, this time to Potiphar, a wealthy Egyptian. 
So he goes, he goes Joseph, from living in a comfortable family, having dreams from God, and then all hell breaks loose. He's sold by his brothers, rejected by the very ones he should have trusted. And now he finds himself in Egypt, sold as a slave to Potiphar. And God blesses him because he keeps heart. Because if you lose heart, you lose all. And in that place of being a slave, he starts then to being, accu being accused. Potiphar's wife takes a fancy to him. Joseph resists the temptation, but she mounts an accusation against him, an untrue accusation. And then Joseph then ends up being put in prison in Egypt. It seems like one misfortune just leads on to the next. It seems like when things can't get worse, they get worse. So he's gone from being sold, rejected by his brothers, now sold as a slave, and now he's a prisoner, falsely accused. And in the prison, he makes friends with two men who used to work for Pharaoh. They were part of Pharaoh's inner circle. God gives him dream. God gives them dreams and Joseph gets them the interpretation. And after the period of time, Joseph is called by Pharaoh to interpret Pharaoh's dreams. I don't know about you, but sometimes in life you carry dreams and you might be carrying dreams you've carried maybe even from your youth. And today you're looking at your life and thinking, man, it seems like I couldn't be any further from my dreams than I am now. Well, that was exactly like Joseph. Maybe you're thinking, by now I should be living in my dreams. And yet my life seems like it's a million miles away from the dreams that I was so convinced that God gave me. And that was like Joseph. He wasn't just near his dreams. He was in the worst place. But then within a day, he was elevated by, jo by, by Pharaoh. And he was asked to interpret Pharaoh's dreams. And he did. He gave the interpretation and Pharaoh's dreams were, in, the, the interpretation of the dreams were that there would be seven years of plenty in Egypt, followed by seven years of famine. On interpreting the dream, Pharaoh then elevated Joseph, made him second in command, second to Pharaoh, made him prime minister of Egypt. Absolutely incredible. He went from zero to hero. And he gave Joseph his gold ring. He gave Joseph a, a, a wealthy cloak. He gave Joseph his own chariot. I mean, Joseph was like a hip hop artist with a mink coat and a feather in his hat and the, all the bling from zero to hero. And God vindicated Joseph. But then there's a moment years later, they've had the seven years of plenty. And now they come into the seven, the seven years of famine. And Joseph's family in a distant land, start to become aware of their own desperate need for food. They hear this food in Egypt, so they send the brothers, the same brothers who had rejected Joseph, they send them to Egypt. And when they arrive, they stand before Joseph, their brother, without realizing it's Joseph. And this is what the Bible says, that Joseph interacts with them, and then they come with a point where Joseph reveals to them his identity. And this is what it says for us in Genesis chapter 45, verses four to eight. And I want you to see the perspective that Joseph has on his hard times. Listen to this. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they'd done so, he said to them, I am your brother, Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there's been famine in the lands. And for the next five years, there'll be no plowing or reaping. But God has sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant 
on the earth to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me, but God. I mean, isn't that incredible? Instead of being vindictive against his brothers, and his brothers must have been shocked because they hit something like, oh, that's a brother. And they hadn't realized it was the brother. He, they thought he was an Egyptian. They, they, it was the most important man in Egypt. And then suddenly realized, oh, he's our brother. The very one we souls and tried to murder. And instead of Joseph being vindictive for their actions, instead of Joseph seeking revenge, he had a perspective and he said, you sold me, but God sent me. Isn't that incredible? How did you get to the point where you go through things in life and instead of being vindictive, you seek to have a perspective of God working things out? It wasn't long after that that Joseph's entire family relocated to Egypt and they survived the famine because they were under Joseph's care in Egypt. And after a period of time, Joseph's father, Jacob, or Israel, passed away. And Joseph's brothers were fretful, thinking, well, Joseph will now take revenge on us. And he's been holding back while our father was alive, but now our father's dead. Um, he'll enact revenge. But this is what Joseph said to his brothers. It says in Genesis chapter 50, uh, chapter, sorry, chapter 45. Sorry, chapter 50, verse 20. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it. For good. Say that with me. God meant it for good. To bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So here's my question. How do you navigate the challenges of life that, that throw up a huge why in your mind? You go through things. You say, why? Joseph went through things. Undoubtedly, he would have said, why? How do you navigate them and not come out bitter, but come out better? And I think the answer is with convictions. And for Joseph, he had deep convictions that helped him navigate the unknowns in life. And I'm gonna share them with you just now. The first thing we see for Joseph is this. First of all, he held on to a big view of God. Joseph believed in the providence, in the sovereignty of God. He believed that God upholds all things. He governs all things in every place, in every circumstance, in every moment. He believed in a God who is large and in charge, a God who could take even the terrible things we go through and outwork a sovereign plan. Looking back in his life, he reckons, do you know what? I think it was just at the, just the right time my brothers threw me in that pit. And lo and behold, just at the right time, those Midianites were passing by and they sold me instead of killing me. And then they arrived at the slave market in Egypt and everyone was bidding for me. But that morning, Potiphar woke up wanting to buy a slave. And God, that was just the right time. Potiphar walked in. And even when Potiphar's wife tried to seduce me, God, even that, it was just at the right time. The accusation came and I ended up in prison. At the time, I was asking why. But I look back and say, God, you are sovereign. You got me there at the exact time so I could be in prison with the employees of Pharaoh. And then just at the right time, even when I was losing hope, you gave Pharaoh dreams and you put me on Pharaoh's radar. Joseph had a perspective. God is large and in charge. And you see, if Joseph hadn't have been sold into slavery, millions of people would have died in famine. Joseph's own family would have died in the famine. And here's the other thing. Joseph wouldn't have become the man that God wanted him to be. Because it's not just what happens through us. 
It's what God does in us in these times. How we're changed, how we're transformed is part of the great plan that sovereign God is outworking in our lives. So Joseph had a perspective and his perspective was God is a great God. And that great view of God kept him going through the hardest of times. He said to them, hey, you sold me, but God sent me. He had a perspective. And as we read in Genesis 50, he said, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. God meant it for good. See, God defeats evil. He does. But he doesn't just defeat evil by stopping the evil. God does something far more incredible than just stopping the evil. What God does is he takes the very evil, the very momentum of the evil, and he takes that momentum and turns it against evil itself. And he turns it for a great good. He frustrates evil, he hijacks the evil, and uses it to accomplish the very opposite purpose for which the evil was sent in the first place. Isn't that amazing? I've never, I've never done judo, but I'm told in judo, what you do is you take the momentum of your opponent, they come at you, you use their, their momentum to throw them and you accomplish something that was opposite to what they intended. You take their very momentum and you turn it for the opposite purpose. And God does this in our lives. In fact, the ultimate example is the death of Jesus on the cross. You see, the death of Jesus on the cross is a manifestation of the ultimate evil on planet Earth. And God took even the ultimate evil of human beings' rejection of their saviour, the crucifixion of Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, God in the flesh, that very evil, the ultimate evil on earth, God used to achieve the ultimate good, the salvation of multitudes of people. I find that remarkable. You see, when the disciples saw Jesus crucified, they were asking, why? They didn't understand it. It seemed so completely beyond their comprehension. Why? And yet after the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus, Peter, the apostle, stands up in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost and he gives the answer to the why. And he stands up in front of thousands of people and he preaches about Jesus. And this is what he says in Acts chapter 2, verse 23 and 24. This man, Jesus, was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death, nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead. And Peter went on to preach and thousands got saved that day and the church was birthed. But here Peter's saying, listen, wicked men handed him over. But it was in line with God's foreknowledge. It didn't take God by surprise. In fact, God had a plan all along. He took the negative momentum, like in a judo match, he took the opponent's momentum and turned it to accomplish the very opposite. You see, he took Satan's plots. He took Judas's jealousy. He took the Pharisee's murderous intent. He took the mob mentality and he turned it for the salvation of my life and of your life. And if you're willing to accept Jesus, you can be saved. You can know God. Your sins can be forgiven. God turns the great evil and turns it for a great good in your life. But you know what? He doesn't just do that en masse for people. He does that in your life too. He does it in our lives. He does it in our church. He takes the negative and turns it to the positive. In everyday life, folks, it's very easy to focus in on the evil that's been intended. It's very easy to forget the good that God intends. It's very easy for our minds to be consumed with the evil that's negatively against us. It's very easy to focus on, you sold me, the work of man or the work of Satan. And you become bitter. And Joseph, Joseph didn't focus on, you sold me. Instead, 
He focused on God sent me. Joseph didn't meditate on the fact that his brothers had sold him. He meditated on the fact that God had sent him. And church, when we as a church are going through hard times, we don't meditate on the negative things we faced. Instead, we meditate on God. You're sending us. And individuals, don't focus in on what they did to you, what they said about you, or what was done against your will. Instead, focus in on the God who in the middle of it is outworking an eternal and sovereign plan. He's a master at that. You see, when God made us, he didn't take the gold of heaven and form us. Instead, he took the muck of earth and formed us into a masterpiece. And God is a master creator at taking the muck of life and forming beautiful things out of the muck. Say amen if you agree. So the first thing that Joseph had that helped him get through and helped him navigate his why was a big view of God. The second thing was this, he held on to a dream. So when he was age 17, God spoke to him and gave him a dream. God gave him a clear dream. And as a 17 year old, it would have been seen, the idea of him being a ruler would have seemed so far off, so abstract, so inconceivable, almost impossible. And yet it had credibility. And that's what dreams from God have. They have an air of credibility, but even though they're impossible, they have an air of credibility and a dream is God showing you reality before it becomes your reality. Because God who is outside of time, for, as far as God's concerned, it's a done deal. Even though for us, we're stuck in this thing called time, God is out working a purpose and we believe him for the dreams that are yet to be fulfilled. And it was the dream that kept Joseph going through those hard times. At the beginning of 2020, I was invited by uh, an apostle called Terry Virgo. He heads up the New Frontiers family of churches. A brilliant network, a very healthy, strong network of churches around the UK. Terry Virgo invited me to attend uh, a gathering of about 20 national leaders down in London. I felt very privileged to be there. And there were great leaders there, people like Mike Pilavachi. And in one of the breaks, Mike Pilavachi came over to me. And this is the prophecy that Mike Pilavachi gave me. And I want you to hear this because it really pertains to what I'm going through just now, and what we're doing as a church. Listen to this, this is pretty impressive. And again, when God speaks, he's preparing you for what's coming. This is what he said. You have a heart for Edinburgh and the Lothians, but God is gonna call you into something new and beyond. Not from something, but to something. In other words, you're not gonna leave Edinburgh, but you're called to a bigger field. I'm gonna to bring to you leaders, and you'll not know where they come from. In that moment, you'll be given wisdom to say things and you wonder, where did that wisdom come from? I have a sense that you feel like you've seen something but you haven't seen it yet. It's all about timing. In God's timing, you'll see what you've seen. Like Joseph, you've been carrying dreams from your youth and you will see it. It's just about the right timing. And so today I'm moving into what I saw when I was in my teens. And we collectively as a church are moving into the purpose of God that God has always had for us. And that's what God's doing in our lives. And that's not just me, that's you. That's every one of us because we're the body of Christ together. And here's the pattern I see in scripture. It kind of seems like the rule, not the exception. That God's word comes like a dream or a word. And then trouble comes or trials or a wilderness. And then the dream is fulfilled. And you see that, you see that in the life of Jesus. 
God said, this is my beloved son. Next thing that happens is he ends up in the wilderness being tempted for 40 days. And then the next thing that happens is he comes out of the wilderness and the power of the spirit and his ministry is birthed. With David, you see God anointing him as king. Then he spends the next period in the wilderness. And then he comes out as the appointed king that God had chosen for Israel. I think it's the pattern. I think the dream comes, then the troubles come, but then the dream is fulfilled. And God does this all the time. God never sends you into a wilderness wordless. God always gives you a word as you're going into a wilderness. And it's through that word, that dream, that vision from God that keeps you going through the wilderness. And it's the very fulfillment of that word that you see as you come out of the wilderness. Thank God. Do you know what? Never doubt in the dark what God showed you in the light. It's true. God has spoken. Trust him. Hold on to the word. Joseph's dreams had credibility. Do you know, you ever wonder about this? How could Pharaoh, who didn't know Joseph, all he knew was this was a prisoner. How could Pharaoh then take him from being prisoner to being prime minister? That's a big risk. All I can conclude is this, that when Joseph described the dream to Pharaoh, it had such an air of credibility over it. I guess you could say it had the touch of God in the dream. And Pharaoh thought, this is the man for the job. And so also a God-given dream stirs people, it stirs faith, it rallies people. And we're carrying a God-given dream for our city, for our region, the Lothians, and for the world. And I know that many of you have risen to that dream. And truly, I believe the best days are ahead. So he held on to the big view of God. Secondly, he held on to the dream. But thirdly, you're going to never lose sight of the big plan, of the big picture. We're part of a bigger picture. You see, in the book of Genesis, there are 12 chapters that are devoted to the story of Joseph from the start to the finish. But here's the thing. Imagine if Joseph had given into the temptation with Potiphar's wife. We wouldn't have 12 chapters. We would never have seen the outcome. Imagine he had quit halfway through. We would never have seen the great things that God would have done. And when you understand there's a bigger picture, it will keep you going through the hardest of times. And we, gotta, we want to have the testimonies of what would have happened if we didn't quit. Well, look what God did because we didn't quit. And that's what we see in the 12 chapters of Genesis. Uh, there was an advertising campaign on the streets in Zimbabwe and they had billboards and they were going along the street and the first billboard showed the first part of the advert, the second billboard showed the second part of the advert and the third billboard gave you the punchline. But the point was this, you didn't understand the advert until you drove past the first, the second and then the third. If you only saw the first part of the advert and then you took a diversion, you would never have figured out what the advert was about. It would have seemed meaningless. And so also it is with the purpose of God. If you quit at first step or you quit at second step, you'll miss the very punchline that God wants you to experience, the very destiny, the very fulfillment that God's put you on earth to see. Why should you persevere? Well, why should Joseph persevere? Why did Joseph keep going? Well, it resulted in millions of people being saved in famine. That was the conclusion of his story. That was the punchline. But there's a bigger story as well. You see, the life of Joseph is a parallel to the life of Jesus. Let me show you. Both Jesus and Joseph were loved by their father. Both Jesus and Joseph were shepherds over their father's flock. 
Both were sent by the father to their brothers. Both of them were rejected by their brothers with murderous intent. Both of them were sold for silver. Both of them were falsely accused. Both of them were placed between two prisoners, one of which was saved, one was condemned. Both of them began their ministry at age 30. Both of them were exalted by God after a season of suffering. Both of them forgave those who had harmed them. Both of them suffered to save many. Joseph suffered to save multitudes in a famine. Jesus suffered on a cross to save people like you and me from our sins, if we'll trust them. You see, Joseph's brothers only turned to Joseph when they became desperate and in deep need and in deep hunger. It was only after multitudes of others had been saved that Joseph's brothers got saved. They were the last ones to come to Joseph in the wilderness. At first, when they saw Joseph, they didn't recognize him. They thought he was an Egyptian. And eventually they realized who he was. Do you know that even this is a parallel? Historically, Jesus' death on the cross and resurrection has brought salvation to millions upon millions of people all over the earth, Gentile people, non-Jewish people. But what happens at the end of time, just before Jesus returns, is there will be a turning of Jesus' brothers, the Jewish people, to God. They will be the last to be saved when they realize their needs. It says in Romans 11, 25 to 26, a partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentile has come in. And then in this way, all Israel will be saved. Joseph saved multitudes of peoples from a famine. And the last ones to come in were the Jews, crying out, not realizing that this was their brother and realizing he's none other than the savior. I want to let you know Joseph was part of a bigger story, not just saving people from a famine, but preparing the way for the savior of the world. And I want to say to you folks, every single one of you, you're part of a bigger story. God has a part for you in the bigger story. Church, city on a hill, we're part of a bigger story. And God is out working a plan. So I want to urge us, hold on to a big view of God. Hold on to the dream that we collectively have and that you individually have. Never lose sight of the big plan because God wants to do something not just in us, but through us. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for the perspective Joseph had. He hadn't become vindictive. He hadn't become threatening. He hadn't become revengeful. Instead, he had a perspective that you sold me, but God sent me. He figured that, hey, you intended evil, but God meant it for the good. And God, we want to say in the challenges of life, personally and collectively, as we go through challenges, we want to say, God, thank you. That even though people may do things against us, even though the enemy may do things against us, I want to thank you, God, that you're on the throne. You're large and in charge. You're out working an eternal plan. And I pray for every person joining today that they would know the reality of that plan that they would be able to trust themselves to the God who's able to turn it for the good. And we do that just now. Church, just where you are, take a moment to respond. Maybe something I've said has triggered something in your heart. Take a moment to pray back your response to God. And while people are praying, if you're joining today and you haven't yet got a relationship with God, the creator, 
that Jesus Christ, the Saviour, who died for you and rose again, in this moment's for you. If you're saying, Pete, I really want to, I want to know God. I want to be saved. I want to have a new start. Then God wants to save you. So if that's you today and you're saying, Pete, I'm, I'm willing to put my trust in Jesus. I'm willing to turn from my sins. I'm willing to become a follower who gets baptised and follows Jesus. Then just pray this prayer with me just now. And let this prayer come from the bottom of your heart. One line at a time, say after me. Dear Lord God, thank you so much for your love for me. Jesus, thank you for dying in my place on the cross. And on the third day, rising again. Thank you, you're alive right now. Today, I put my faith in you and you alone. Forgive me for all my sins. In fact, I turn from sins and I choose to follow you. God, thank you for hearing my prayer. Jesus, be Lord of my life from now on. Amen. As you prayed that prayer, God has heard your prayer. God saves you, forgives you, and gives you a new start. God bless you.